there's your third round pick, Mr. Tree Living. Please enjoy. You know? <laughs> and just... You know, we don't talk a lot about baseball on this show because, well, not big baseball fans. It's like watching paint dry. But I am actually going to watch some baseball this weekend because we are going to see, I think, potentially one of the greatest American League Championship Series that we could potentially uh, be witness to. I think that um, when you have a 105-win New York Yankees team playing a 107-win Houston Astros team and all the stars on both sides, I think we're, and we're going to have packed stadiums, and I think that it's going to be actually exciting to watch a baseball game. And if it's not, I'll certainly tell you. But I'm actually going to commit some time to watching game one later tonight between the Yankees in, and the Astros from Minute Maid Park in Houston, and we'll have more about that. But as we open this 405th, can't even read my own writing anymore. Uh, as we open this 405th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris, I'm going to hand the microphone over to the executive producer who just whispered in my ear, literally, not figuratively, folks, um, who just told me that we have some breaking news. So let's bring in the boss and say hi to the executive producer, Mr. Fluke. Well, I've found that I really enjoy breaking news of college football upsets to Mike on the air, and I don't think he's probably seen this yet. But uh, anyway, I'm extra happy about this one because this team I don't know a lot about, but this one school, their coach last year said something that pissed me off. And so I'm very happy to see this. So I would like to be the first to inform you, I think, that in double overtime, the South Carolina Gamecocks no. have gone into Sanford Stadium in Athens, Georgia as 22 and a half point underdogs and have oh, no. defeated the Georgia Bulldogs 20 to 17 in double overtime. Go fuck yourself, Georgia Bulldogs, because last year their stupid coach said even if they lost two games, they should be in the national championship. And no, they fucking shouldn't because that's fucking bullshit. So fuck you. Georgia Bulldogs, I am thrilled about this. Kirby Smart, former defensive coordinator at Alabama under Saban, and of course everybody is, you know, a wonderkin that works for Saban. Um, but that is huge. Congratulations to the South Carolina Gamecocks. Uh, their, their coach, Will Muschamp, used to be at Texas, used to be at Florida, got kicked out of both of those two, and now is trying to uh, weave his magic in Columbia, South Carolina. I guess the most two famous alumni from Columbia, South Carolina and South Carolina, or the University of South Carolina would be, I don't know if Chris would remember this one, but George Rogers, he won the Heisman Trophy in 1980, was a good back in the NFL for a couple of years with the, uh, back in the early 80s, back with the New Orleans Saints, who made them the, him the first pick of the 80 draft. But I guess the one that Chris would certainly know about is Jadavian Clowney. He is the most recent, most famous graduate from the East Coast version of USC, University of Southern Cal, University of South Carolina there, folks. Get the, get the analogy there. Um, that is great news. I am, uh, I am so happy 
when an underdog like that, especially at the number 22, comes in and does that at Georgia. Mm -hmm. That is so cool. I'm so happy. Congratulations to the Gamecocks. That is a great way to start this 405th episode of Unscripted, and I thank Chris for telling me that. It is going to be a huge day in college football. It won't make or break a lot of teams' seasons, but I'm going to tell you, it's going to point a lot of teams in the right or wrong direction, I'll tell you that, because you look at games, and I don't know if these games are ongoing as we sit here and and speak to you on a Saturday afternoon. And also, I'd like to send out um, best wishes to Canadians, this weekend as we celebrate the Canadian version of Thanksgiving, which I think I love U.S. Thanksgiving. I get all that. And there's a lot of tradition and pageantry with U.S. Thanksgiving. But the problem I always used to have with U.S. Thanksgiving is it's too damn close to Christmas. Mm -hmm. And I can't do turkey twice in 30 days. Can't do it. It's too dry. It sucks. I don't like it. Um, you never had a deep fried turkey, I guess. No, I didn't. I got to try that someday. That's good, yeah. I, I would like that. But the old traditional baste it and sit in the oven for two days turkey, which would come out dry and ugh, I don't like that two, dime, two, dime, two times in 30 days. But uh, again, congratulations. And I hope that all Canadians have a very safe and joyous Thanksgiving weekend. And it, and it is nice when you you have a little break between Thanksgiving and and Christmas. Christmas will be here fast enough, folks. And since we've been dumped on snow twice here in the Lily of the Gods here in Calgary, um, we've already had a bit of winter. But uh, big weekend in college football. You've got the, and I'm giving Chris a little bit of an education here too. They like to call it the Red Red River Rivalry, which is the river that actually streams between the states of Oklahoma and Texas. But Oklahoma and Texas are playing in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas today. That's a big game. That game is over. And who won? Uh, the Oklahoma Sooners have stayed undefeated. They did not cover the spread, but they did win 34-27. to 27. Well, and again, that's one of those games, my friend, that it's like Ohio State-Michigan. It's like uh, USC-UCLA. It's like... Uh, the Iron Bowl. It's like the Iron Bowl. It's like uh, the cocktail party between Georgia and Florida every year. There's just... You know, and these two used to be in the same conference. They are no longer, obviously, as Texas is in the, uh, well, I guess they still are in the Big 12. They're the only two marquee teams left in the Big 12, I will say that. You've got LSU and Florida today in a big game in the swamp down in uh, uh, in um, Gainesville, Florida. In Madison, Wisconsin, you've got the teams that, especially Wisconsin, you want to stay. Wisconsin has a chance, obviously, folks, to make the playoff, they still have to obviously go to to uh, Columbus, Ohio, on October twenty on October twenty sixth will be the, which will be the defining game of their season. But you don't want to go if you're Wisconsin. You don't want to go to Ohio State on October twenty sixth with a loss on your record. Yeah, you can afford because realistically, folks, the way things are going between the East and Western divisions of the Big Ten, it looks like right now from perception that the Big Ten championship game, the first Saturday in December, will be Ohio State and Wisconsin. And if Wisconsin can get into that game with only one loss, they still have an outside shot. They'd obviously have to beat Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. But if they lose to Michigan State today and then lose on October 26th at Ohio State, you can wipe Wisconsin out of any you know, chances of making the playoffs. You have one of the greatest singular cross 
country rivals. They've been playing each other since the 1920s, and that's USC and Notre Dame. USC not as glamorous as, as they have been in years past. Notre Dame with one loss, the Golden Domers still think that they have a chance to be in the playoffs. I don't. Um, but a big weekend of college football, and I think we'll go over a lot of it when we get to Freeform Friday here on this week of shows. We can. But uh, I'm very happy that Chris uh, broke the news that there has been an upset this week, and it happened in Athens, Georgia, and I'm so happy it happened to Kirby Smart and the rest of those smart asses down there from Atlanta, Georgia, between the hedges. Um, yeah, a great weekend of college football, and uh, we don't even have to talk about Alabama. That's the best part. I would just uh, update you that Wisconsin is winning 7 nothing with uh, four minutes left in the first. Guess who got the touchdown? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say it was Jonathan Taylor. Sure was. One-yard touchdown run. What a surprise. Um, a lot of things to talk about, but I want to start, and I, I do want to talk about baseball, a uh, couple things to talk about there. But I am a person that I – and I, I always like to kind of um, – and I've been listening to Johnny Carson a lot this week. Johnny Carson's been on Sirius Satellite Radio all week. They've been playing old tapes of Carson's shows. Oh, like when he did stand up at the beginning of the no, show? Well, yeah, they do the monologue, but they've actually been having full shows. And remember back in the 70s, the, t- t- the Tonight Show was 90 minutes long. Mm-hmm. So you'd have four or five guests, and, and uh, I'm trying to slow myself down a little bit sometimes. But part of one of the reasons I enjoy doing Unscripted with Chris is I get to see Chris once a week. I get to get out of the house and get away from all my girls and... Um, not that I don't love them, but a break is necessity when you live in a house full of women, let me tell you. But one of the things Chris has educated me about is there are things that happen outside in the wonderful and wacky world of sports outside of football, basketball, baseball, hockey. And I bring this story up because I've heard this guy's name a lot. Chris has obviously told me about this guy, but I want to know the significance and Chris, again, I would like to, I would like to direct you to our Patreon page, uh, also on our unscriptedmc.com page. Chris did another fine recap this week of Wednesday's action in the uh, AEW wrestling, and uh, I would I would uh, encourage you to go visit and learn more, as I do in regard to this new wrestling option option out there, um, but. A guy that a lot of people are very familiar with, his name, obviously, Cain Velasquez. And I'm going to ask Chris the question here, simply this. What is the importance? How important? Give us a little background about the news that Velasquez made this week by retiring from MMA and signing a contract to participate in the WWE. Sir. Sure. Well, in the last nine years, uh, Cain's only fought three times, uh, one win and two losses including losing in this past uh, February to your buddy uh, Francis Ngannou in 26 seconds but in fairness that was he kind of he kind of slipped and something his knee gave out kind of and it was just kind of a really unfortunate thing and he's just had such bad luck with injuries and all this and he's 37 now and it's too bad because in 2010 he looked like the dominant heavyweight he looked like he was going to be Stipe or Cormier and he's best friends with Cormier they trained together 
and uh, he was just the man. And he he beat Brock Lesnar. He knocked out Lesnar in the first round, I believe, and won the, the UFC heavyweight title off him. And he just looked amazing. And to this day, he still trains very hard. It was interesting seeing him come out on WWE for the first time uh, on their debut on Fox on Friday Night SmackDown because uh, he he doesn't look like my when you see him like he looks smaller than most heavyweights. He doesn't have a bodybuilder's physique whatsoever. He just looks like a guy, like if you glance at him, you might think he hardly even works out. But the thing is, most people don't know is he has such amazing cardio shape and, he, and he's not ripped. He just, you wouldn't even think he has good cardio shape. He just looks like a normal guy, but he, he trains harder than probably anyone in WWE. And they do have some very hard uh, training people in WWE, but he trains so hard and he's in such good cardio shape at all times. And he's never lost that. And he is a, a very special draw around the world. UFC is very global. You know, that's what NFL is trying to do. They want to be right. able to go to all these places and whatever. But uh, so they what they wanted was, number one, they wanted to make a splash for their debut on Fox. Right. Right. Number two, they've got this 10-year agreement with Saudi Arabia. And so... Oh, yeah. So the main event now is Brock Lesnar versus Cain Velasquez in their rematch from UFC, but now happening in WWE. They have not announced if it's for the WWE uh, Universal title or not. They haven't announced that yet, but uh, I'm not sure if it will be. It'll probably depend on who the winner is. If they're going to have Lesnar win, they'll probably just make it a title match and then Lesnar wins. It doesn't matter. If they are convinced on having Kane win, I don't know if they'd give him the title yet because even though he's a big name, he's very green, as we call it in the wrestling. He's very green in the wrestling industry. He's had two matches in Mexico and that's about it. So he's very, very inexperienced at wrestling in the ring and you need to get some matches under your belt. I don't care what kind of an athlete you are. You have to get some matches under your belt to uh, be a decent wrestler uh, and even be on TV, never mind have the world title. So uh, they wanted uh, some big draws for their Fox and for their Saudi Arabia, but allegedly it is a multi-year deal. I've not been able to find any official terms, but it's a lucrative multi-year deal is what I'm being told. He was pursued by AEW, I think. Uh, who else? Triple uh, A, uh, where he wrestled a couple matches, I think, wanted him. Uh, I think New Japan contacted him. They're like the WWE of Japan. Uh, they're a massive organization. They're trying to get a foothold in America. So uh, very, very, uh, you know, coveted guy. Everyone was interested in multiple sports, wanted Cain Velasquez, but he decided to go, go with the WWE. He had made an appearance a few months ago at their performance center in Florida and had trained with the guys and gotten a feel for it. And I guess this is the way that he's going. So I uh, really like this guy. Like I say, best friends with Daniel Cormier. So you know he's a strong character and uh, a good person. And uh, I, I like the guy a lot. Does he, as part of his new deal then, does he become like a, a fixture on on the Friday night, let's say, on, on the new SmackDown on Fox? Or does he just have contractual obligations to their bigger pay-per-view items or what do you think they do with him moving forward that's a great question and uh, that hasn't come out yet because you have someone like brock lesnar who has the most lucrative deal in wwe history uh, per appearance that i'm aware of uh, because he's very part-time like brock only is on the uh, i think like he like when he appeared on smackdown and and wrestled and beat kofi kingston in a few seconds for the title uh, that was his first match on SmackDown in 15 years. Mm. It was the longest anyone's ever gone between appearances on one TV show between matches in, in WWE. And so that, and a lot of that time he was in NFL and UFC and stuff. But 
that really shows that he is just part-time. He just comes in for the big shows and that's it. Uh, then you take someone like Ronda Rousey that everyone thought that would be what she did, but then they just, she really wanted to get good at it. She went hard for a year or whatever it was and just was wrestling all, it was on the, on TV every week, was just appearing all the time. So for Kane, I don't know how long the big match appeal is going to last with him. And I think he's the type that would be dedicated to really learning how to be a professional wrestler. So I'm going to assume that it's in the best interest of both parties if he does wrestle more often and he does appear every Friday, especially on Fox, uh, maybe Mondays on Raw, but uh, they say they're really reinforcing the brand split now. So whichever show you're on, you'll be just on that show and you won't appear on the other one uh, where they had some guys who would go back and forth before. So, and I have to imagine they're going to pick Fox over USA Network. They're not, they're going to put him on SmackDown, I'm sure, because he's the big name. So I'm going to guess that he's on SmackDown and that he will be a fixture there and uh, they will try to get him some real good match experience, even at non-televised events, I would think, to really, because usually when you get to this point, you've had a bunch of matches off TV at least. So um, he's such a great athlete that I hope that he does well and I believe in him. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of unanswered questions, honestly, going forward. A lot of things to talk about. National Hockey League, we've got some things to touch uh, there. I do again. I do want to talk a little baseball here because I think that this could be, this could be a groundbreaking. This could be the American League Championship Series to beat all American League Championship Series. I don't know if we've ever had a 107 win during the regular season team playing a 105 win team. And isn't it funny when you win 105 games out of 162 and you don't even get home field advantage? Uh, and that, of course, is the the hurdle that the New York Yankees have to overcome in their best of seven series that starts tonight on Fox, uh, Yankees and Astros, but we'll get to that in a minute. I want to talk some National Hockey League. Chris brought it up uh, briefly at the end of our episode 404 in regard to when we were going through our picks for week number six of the National Football League, but I've, I've wanted to talk about this for a while. Um, and again, it goes back to Calgary versus Edmonton in regard to the National Hockey League. We have two National Hockey League franchises in this province. They're about 250 miles apart. That's about uh, 350 clicks apart if you're uh, stuck on the metric system, which I have lived here for 20-some years and I'm still having problems with. Um, But we have to talk about Edmonton's James Neal. Now, Edmonton's James Neal, when I wrote this, had only been in three games at this time. Now, Edmonton has gone on. As we, again, mentioned at the end of our last episode, Edmonton has now, with their win earlier already today, in New York against the Rangers in Manhattan, a game that ended 4-1 to one in favor of the Oilers to improve their season record to 5-0. and oh. But I have to talk about James Neal because it has been dissected in this province it was basically the James Neal for Milan or Lucic deal. And it's been well documented that James Neal had a terrible year last year in Calgary. This guy, I know of James Neal when he played in Dallas. I know of James Neal when he played, I believe, in Nashville. I could be mistaken. Chris will correct me if I'm wrong. I'd, obviously, I knew James Neal was part of the very first Vegas Golden Knights team. Did an unbelievable job that first year, making it all the way 
to the Stanley Cup Finals, which they lost to the Washington Capitals. But James Neal is one of these guys, in my opinion, that could have fallen out of bed and scored three goals in a game. It's just the way he is. He's got great hands. But for some reason, and I think his ill-begotten year in Calgary started really going downhill. Last year, the Flames had a uh, preseason trip to China. They're trying to, you know, uh, enlarge the brand in the National Hockey League as well. And the Calgary Flames and the Boston Bruins went over to China and played some exhibition games before the start of last year. And it was reported here in Calgary that there was a problem from the very first practice last year in China between that munchkin, Johnny Gaudreau, and James Neal. James Neal felt that he should have been on the first line. You pay a guy $28 million over four seasons, you're thinking, yeah, probably he should be on the first line. And with his careers, his career numbers, I should say, in regard to, again, James Neal scores 20 to 25 goals a year falling out of bed. Doesn't matter. Except for last year here in Nirvana. Last year here in Nirvana, again, going back to that season opening trip in China, there was a communication problem at the very beginning between Johnny Goudreau and James Neal. And supposedly, Goudreau didn't like playing on the same line with James Neal. And Johnny... Oh, I just can't stand this guy. Johnny Douchebag went to uh, management. I don't know if it was just to coach Bill Peters, but I believe he probably got general manager Brad Tree Living involved as well and said, I can't be on a line with James Neal. Well, I think with my small hockey knowledge, but I think for a guy to be as successful as James Neal has been throughout his career, everywhere but here, he needs a good centerman to set him up and give him the puck in the right position so he can make his shot on net and score some goals. Why couldn't they figure that out in Calgary? And it took them three games to figure that out in Edmonton. Okay? So James last year, seven goals last year for the Flames in 63 games. This season, and again, I just wrote this after they had played their third game. He had a uh, last Saturday night, he had a two-goal game. And then last Thursday, I believe it was, I'm not sure about the dates, but they were playing the New York Islanders. James Neal scored four goals in that game. So through three games this season, excuse me, through four games now or whatever, he's got seven goals. He's already matched his season total from last year. And I just want to reiterate that Johnny Goudreau thinks that he runs the Calgary Flames. And he's not even the highest paid member of the Flames organization anymore. That would now go to Kachuk. Johnny Goudreau thinks that he runs the Flames organization, and we saw how well he did last year in the first round of the playoffs against the Colorado Avalanche. He was a non-factor at one point. And your number one guy, your number one centerman on your number one line in a playoff series has got to contribute more than one point. I I mean, Jesus, you don't have a chance. And obviously, when your number one guy is only contributing one point, that shows and and certainly helped the Colorado Avalanche win that series in five games. They dropped the first game when Goudreau had his one point, and then they won the next four games when Goudreau did nothing. Subsequently, there was a trade this offseason, trading one bad contract for another one. But in my opinion, and I'm not the Edmonton Oilers fan that Chris is, but I know quality when I see it, 
And Ken, Ken Holland, the new general manager of the Edmonton Oilers, is, the, is of highest quality. He had a lot to do with the Detroit Red Wings making the postseason 25 years in a row. Ken Holland makes a trade, and how he did it, maybe he got Tree Living liquored up at a Boston pizza? I don't know. But basically you're trading a bad contract for a bad contract, and it turned out being James Neal for Milan Lucic. And Lucic has not scored a goal yet this year. He may have already been in the penalty box seven times to match numbers in regard to James Neal has scored seven goals this year. But Chris and I have been saying this since the trade was consummated, that this is going to be a barn burner trade for the Edmonton Oilers. You put them on the right line. And you know what? Yes. People have said to me, well, Mike, your comments about Johnny Goudreau on, on Unscripted have been unwarranted. Anybody can score on a line with, with uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle. Absolutely. No question. But then why didn't it work here? Because Johnny Goudreau didn't put Johnny Goudreau on a different line. I don't know. And, and, and in fairness, the kid that started on the line with Monaghan and Goudreau, Goudreau last year, Hannafin or whatever, the guy they got from Carolina, he had a nice year for Calgary, no question. But my God, folks, how can you match? You're paying a guy $28 million over the course of the, of the, of the contract, which is four years. How could Calgary miss so bad on James Neal? Well, they just used him incorrectly. I mean, just because uh, a hammer doesn't screw in a friggin' screw doesn't mean that it's useless, right? You just need to know how to use it properly. And the way to use James Neal is put him in the top six and ideally give him power play time. But if you're a poorly run organization that focuses on, you know, a bratty, uh, you know, centerman, little shit, and who he cares and who he wants his friends to be, or you think that some guy just hasn't earned something and he just belongs on the bottom line to flounder there as some sort of, I don't know, what you think you're Hitler or something, but you're just going to boss some guy around and just make yourself feel good about it and uh, and just waste a guy and think that you're sending some sort of message and proving some sort of point. Just shows how the Calgary Flames are. I don't. I've. I say this every year. I don't know what type of team they're supposed to be. I guess according to the uh, trade that we've seen here, they think that getting Lucic is their answer. So I guess their identity is uh, an average team in 1992. I guess I don't know. <laughs> I suppose that's what they're going for. But I mean, the, this uh, this is a joke. But, this but, trade. But here's the problem I'm having. If you think Goudreau is that almighty okay and you hear this about this all the time about stars wanting to be consulted i think it's bullshit that we do this in this day and age but that's the way it's become that the stars the guys that signify as the leaders of the team need to be consulted as to what the what the front office is doing in regard to player acquisitions player drafts whatever okay why wouldn't pizza boy tree living at least then have a conversation you would think if you're going to commit almost a $30 million contract to a guy that you would do a little homework, you would know what his strengths and weaknesses are, and if you're thinking about making this acquisition, then you go to Monaghan and you go to Goudreau and say, boys, do you think this can work? You know? Um, this was a huge mistake by Tree Living. It was a huge mistake, and they're going to be paying for it for the next four years because um, they're still paying a portion of Neil's, that's part of the deal as I understand it. Yes, 
Calgary's getting a third-round draft pick back to try to level the playing field a little bit, but I also believe that Calgary had to eat some of Neal's salary to make it jive with what the Oilers still owed Lucic. But all I'm saying is, is that why didn't somebody know that, hey, maybe this isn't going to work? Especially, again, and I, I hate to keep going back to the money aspect of it, but $30 million is a big chunk of money. And you're going to commit that to a guy that has been a career 20, 25. I don't think he's gotten over 30, but he's been in the deep 20s a couple of times. He's a career goal scorer. He's a producer. And if that's what you're going for, fine. But then put him on a line that works. And don't just because little flea bag didn't have a good practice with him over in China, you don't relegate James Neal to the third line. James Neal is not a third line guy. He's not going out there to beat anybody up. He's going out there. He's a finesse guy. He's out there to put the puck in the net. And he was used improperly from the beginning from Calgary. And that's why the Calgary Flames are going to be the losers big time in this deal with their provincial neighbors to the north. There's no question. Oh, and the really irresponsible thing here, and maybe you could look at it as some sort of rookie mistake, but I guess he's been around for a few years now, is with tree leaving, you can't make a deal this risky in the division with your provincial rival. Yeah. I mean, I've said often, like, look, I, I, I think most guys take it too far the other way. It's like I can't even make the tiniest little one-for-one -one minor league deal with my rival because, you know, it could blow up in my face. Like, in 10 years, this guy could be okay or something. And teams go too far the other way. It's like you can make some basic trades, I think. You, you have to be a little bit wary of it. But to do this one... To be this clueless about where the NHL is right now, you have a guy who's a proven finisher all the time, everywhere else, and then you have Lucic, who is absolutely the past of how hockey is played now. And yeah. even even if you had him in his prime, he'd still be too slow. Never mind now. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And he's not even that tough. I heard someone the other day defending the trade, and I'm, even when the trade happened, everyone shit on it. Yeah. Never mind now with Neil showing what he can still do. And I mean, Neil is a finisher who needs to be given time not only in the top six, but on the power play. And that's why he's leading the league in power play goals, because that's where he excels. He's good at being in front of the net and getting those rebounds and finishing. And and that's great. And uh, Lucic, this whole thing that Lucic, even if he's at his best, whatever they think they acquired him for, I guess, toughness, what's he going to do? He's playing three minutes a night. What are the odds he's even going to be on the ice when Goudreau's getting beat up? And if you're <laughs> worried that, and honestly, if you're worried that he's going to come out there after and, and and hurt you because you picked on little Johnny Goudreau, that's ridiculous. Mo okay, hockey players are tough anyway. And if it's guys in the division, like look at the Oilers. Like, what are you, what's he going to do? He's not going to intimidate or beat up Leon Dreisaitl, Darnell Nurse, Zach Cassian. Right. He's not. He's maybe as tough as those guys, and he can't even catch up to any of them when it comes to skating. So it doesn't make any sense. This was a catastrophic trade. I would love to volunteer to, on the draft floor, walk the third-round pick we're going to have to send them because of when James Neal outplays Lucic that severely. I would walk over with a silver plant. I'd dress up with tails and like be like a, a butler or a waiter or something and like have the cloche, you know, and like take it off. Like, there's your third round pick, Mr. Tree Living. Please enjoy, you know? And just, I mean, it's, you did that very well. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I was a, I was a server. Um, yeah. So this is an unbelievable deal. And it's so nice to see the shoe on the other foot here because for so long, the Edmonton Oilers have 
lost every trade and had terrible scouting. And now out of nowhere in no time to get Ken Holland, who a lot of people doubted, even our Vancouver bureau chief, in fairness, thought that maybe Ken Holland was a bit of a dinosaur, a bit behind the times. And I was saying, I don't know, maybe, but I kind of like him. He's still a scout at heart. He still takes his trade very seriously, and he's still very talented, and he still has a lot left to give. And to not only destroy Tree Living with this brilliant trade where we got rid of this albatross we never thought we'd get rid of, and in exchange for the same money got someone very useful unbelievable trade on top of that what are we seeing with this 5-0 start it's not all McDavid and Dreisaitl we're seeing these brilliant bets that he got cheap whether they were from other teams that didn't want them like getting Grandland from the Canucks or signing guys from Europe like Haas or Nygaard or, or getting just useful guys like he used to do remember with the Detroit Red Wings you always had the Chris Drapers and the Johan Franz and these amazing role players. It was so deep on every line. It was amazing. And now he's getting guys like Josh Archibald, these completely unsung guys who go out there. You can make the case, even though the scoring today was done by the big guns, if you watch that game, the uh, Riley Sheehan and Jujer Kara, and Kara is actually an Oilers developmental prospect, believe it or not, but uh, they, he played with uh, Riley Sheehan and Josh Archibald and those guys were unbelievable, the shots and the and the chances they were generating. And just to see this turned around so fast, all of a sudden we have great scouting and potentially great, great drafting and we win trades and we have the best player in the world. Well, of course, we're going to start winning. Like, it's unbelievable. We've been missing this for so long. Thank you, Ken Holland. Great job, Dave Tippett. And it's nice to be an Oilers fan again. I guess we can start talking about 2005 again, right? In a rematch of the Carolina Hurricanes and the Edmonton... Oh, six. That's right. Sorry. Um, There was that year that was a strike in 05. That's right. Sorry. 04 was the Flames. Yeah. Five was the strike. 06, we can start talking about a rematch in the Stanley Cup Finals this year between the Carolina Hurricanes and the Edmonton Oilers. I'm in. Um, I was trying to... But we've got so many things to talk about. I don't care. I've got a couple things. I've got to run by you. Um, I love this. I just found this... Very forward thinking. In this day and age, very forward thinking. And I never really thought about forward thinking and Philadelphia in the same sentence. (laughs) But the Philadelphia hockey team, the Philadelphia Flyers, have provided a rage room inside of their new arena for pissed off fans to go in there during a game. And if they have some rage going on, go into this rage room and let her snap. I think that's brilliant. I really do. I, I don't know why. I think probably because it's, it's unique and it's, it's a first thing and yada, yada, yada. Very, very interested about that. Uh, I would, I would, if I'm ever in Philadelphia, I would, make, I would make a special trip to the Wells Fargo Arena just to see the Rage Room. Elsewhere in the National Hockey League, I'll just throw a couple things out here and then I'll let uh, Chris comment. Um, I was very happy to see on Friday that finally the San Jose Sharks have gotten Patrick Marlowe's name on a contract for the second uh, time with that organization. I think this guy can still play hockey. I think the problem in Toronto was that they had so many big contracts that they just couldn't re-sign them all. And Patrick Marlowe was the odd man looking out. I think he can still play hockey, and I think he can contribute to this hockey team. And one other last quick news and note from the, what else? Oh yeah, here's here's what I wanted to say. Really quick, uh, I want to send congratulations to Giannis Antetokounmpo. We all know he's the MVP and all this other stuff. 
it came out on Thursday of this week that Giannis, at age 24, is going to be a father. Hmm. His girlfriend is pregnant, and uh, congratulations to Giannis. And uh, be interesting to see uh, how his career develops or go on once he has a little one running around the house. Let me tell you, things change when you get little ones running around the house because those little things become big things with big problems, and then they become a pain in the ass. I'm only kidding. but uh, So your comments on the Rage Room uh, and uh, Marlowe re-signing in San, in San Jose, please. And also on Giannis, what's... You know, whenever I see these uh, people having kids so young, I'm always like, what's with, all, what's with all the breeding? I mean, I'm just... I always, that's, the, that's, the, <laughs> that's the sentence I always think. And I hear Ben Watson's having seven kids and Philip Rivers having eight kids and other athletes are having kids really young. Well, remember, Giannis comes from a family and half of them are on... Or in the NBA, he's got. There's three Antetokounmpo's this year in the NBA. Two in Milwaukee, one in Los Angeles. But he comes from a family of, I believe, of five or six kids. So, but to me, even like having having either lots of kids or having kids very young, that's like the 1950s to me. I mean, and I, it just seems, I, and I'm I'm not even trying to be insulting or no, anything. No, but there's like, a, a, there's a different. You know, obviously, there's a different way of of uh, things are perceived now than they were back in the 50s. I mean, obviously, my parents should have never married. That was a disaster waiting to happen. It was a train wreck. But at that time, when they got to get together in the late 50s, especially from devout Catholic families, you just didn't get divorced, and you just didn't go and get it annulled and all this other stuff. you know. So, And they certainly probably didn't know the advances, let's say, in birth control like we know, like we know and... and uh, uh, we know of now. So, um, yeah, my parents were a train wreck. They should have never, they should have never been a second and third Jansen child after me because those two hated each other after I was born. So you're the oldest. I'm the oldest. Oh, yeah. I forget and, that. uh, uh, my father has told me on numerous occasions that he didn't like my mother after year two. Well, <laughs> I was, I was the byproduct of year two. And, um, so, you know, again. Um, okay, well, I will refrain from calling you Makeup Sex Mike. Thank you. Appreciate you're, you're that. You're welcome. And uh, But no, that that's just, uh, I'm not trying to really say anything with that, I guess, but that's, whenever I see a story, uh, athlete having a kid young or having eight kids or whatever, I'm just like, what's with all the breeding? That's the sentence yeah. that happens in my head. It appears there, and I don't know, because I just don't want kids. So anyway, uh, the Rage Room, I saw that, and I was like, first of all, my first thought was, uh, if you didn't tell me what city that is, I would have guessed Philly. <laughs> so uh, at least it's appropriate. But and they must have taken a lot of precautions to make sure someone's not going to. Oh, for sure. Get, get I mean, hurt it's got to be a rubber range room. Yeah, or like Nerf bat or right, something. Exactly. It's got to be a rubber room. I, yeah. you know, what? I think my mother probably ruined this for me because I, I seem to remember it as like, I get mad. You want to, you want to like break something because you're mad or something, and then she'd be like, yeah, you, like I don't know, like. 
Yeah, anyway, she just ruined it for me somehow. Yeah, anyway, lots of I'm sure I'm sure there's lots of people in this room that have issues with their mothers. So, um, oh yeah, and and then the uh, the Marlow thing. That's nice to see him there. He never should have been traded there. That was just a waste of time going to Toronto. He should have just stayed there and played his whole career with the Sharks. I'm glad it looks like he'll get to end his career there. Even though they are one and four, he's going to limp across the finish line with that team. By the way, is isn't this great? Like, so there's eight teams in the Pacific Division. And half of them have two points right now, really? and the Oilers have ten. So to have to have an eight point lead on half your now they all have played. Actually, the Sharks have played the same number of games as the Oilers, but the rest have played three or four. Uh, so it's nice to have uh, that kind of a start there for sure. But yeah, good for uh, Aneroid Saskatchewan's own Patrick Marlowe. Well, I, you know, in between channel surfing tonight, I will be watching a little bit of the Calgary Flames and the Vegas Golden Knights from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas tonight, and go Knights, go. We've got a run on this uh, 405th episode of Unscripted. Still a lot of things to get to with our remaining shows of this week. We've got some NFL news and notes. We've got a, a breaking, uh, a breaking huge story uh, from earlier today that I certainly want to talk about, and it's it's life-changing, and, and that's all I'm going to share with you about that. Our buddy Antonio Brown is still in the news. BYU football has made some news today, and I also think we have, and I want to talk about this, the maturation process in full working order in regard to Lonzo Ball now being the starting point guard for the New Orleans Pelicans instead of the Los Angeles Lakers. And I certainly want to talk about that, and we will when we get back and uh, get into our other episodes later on this week here on Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Having said all that, for the executive producer of our little program, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.